Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to the Business of Craft Beer podcast, recorded live from the University of Vermont's Continuing and Distance Education Department with your host, Greg Dunkley. Whether you're looking to break into the craft beer industry or start your own brewery, this podcast is for you. Each week we will discuss all aspects of the craft beer industry from sales, operations, marketing, trends, and analysis with industry experts and thought leaders. If you'd like to be part of the show, please call 929-477-1757. And now here's your host, Greg Dunkel. Well, good afternoon. Uh, this is Gregory Dunkling. You're listening to the Business of Craft Beer Blog Talk Radio Show. We're coming to you live from Burlington, Vermont. Uh, for today's show, uh, we are continuing our summer-long series, Bubble or Sustainable Growth, examining today's craft beer industry. Uh, today, we have two guests, Bill Cherry, owner and president of Switchback Brewing Company, based here in Burlington, and later in the show, Jim Brewing located in East Haven, Connecticut. So to begin, welcome, Bill. Hi. How are you doing? Uh, great, thanks. <clears throat> well, I wanted to uh, start and go back a little bit in time, uh, looking at uh, Switchback. Uh, I understand it started in 2002. Uh, it has grown since to become a major brand in Vermont and now in other states. Uh, Switchback Ale uh, has been your signature beer for many of your 14 years. Um, for how long did you, you offer just this product, and what was your thought process in launching with a single product? Uh, was your goal to appeal to a specific consumer audience? Uh, well, I, I wish I, I had such lofty goals as that, as that <laughs> but it was... Um, it was, you know, I'm driven as I guess my background as as a, a brewer, I'm, and I'm driven by by uh, quality and and efficiencies in my plant, and not so much from marketing. So I was kind of started off with a um, anti-marketing marketing scheme, and uh, so and one of those for me was I knew how small I was starting up. And um, and how little I would actually be brewing because I wouldn't be selling enough product in the beginning, and felt that if I focused on just one, that I could hone it and keep its quality at a standard that I thought was necessary for the competition that I was coming up against, and um, and on the marketing side. At least the overt part for me was I really wanted to establish my flagship and i wanted the name switchback to uh to conjure up this original ale when people did it and i i likened it to i i call it you know a sierra nevada principle is if you just say the word sierra nevada you think of sierra nevada pale ale you don't think of all of their other wonderful flavors because that's that's your focus and i wanted to start that way so that when someone said have you drank switchback they would they it would mean this flagship and if they wanted to know whether whether you were drinking Dooley's belated porter they'd have to they would specify that and, and, and so that was kind of the target. Uh huh. Okay. Well, um, some some have described uh, Switchback Ale um, your your flagship uh, product as 
uh, a perfect transition beer, uh, flavorful, well-balanced, uh, not, not overly powerful uh, to the palate. Um, it had in the early days um, probably still does uh, have broad appeal to, to those who were traditionally uh, maybe not familiar with craft products uh, and helped bring them into the world of, of craft beer. Um, of course, there were many other Sam Adams, uh, Shipyard, and others uh, that, that effectively did that uh, as well, just thinking of the East Coast here. Uh, would you agree that Switchback Ale appealed to this consumer audience, and was that in any way by design? Um, I suppose maybe in some way, but um, it it was uh, really conjured from uh, a focus I had on on the effect of balance in beer. And so you kind of have to transport yourself back to 2002. And what so really what I saw in the market that I was addressing was a common practice of having very rich, um, strongly, you know, flavored beers on one end. And then um, especially, say, if you were a brew pub and you had an audience coming to you and you had to you, you had to serve the full spectrum there'd be what was almost a throwaway beer. You know, there'd be a golden ale or or, or a wheat, a, a real palate kind of wheat beer. And they'd yeah. say, well, I need that. I need that for that customer. I have to put that in. And those brewers were never particularly proud of that product. It was just a product yeah. they needed for that, that customer base. And I went into it saying, and I saying I don't want to I don't want to do I don't want to brew a beer if I get to own my own company I don't want to brew a beer that I'm not excited about how right. do I how do I go about that and so this flavor idea came about from my observation uh probably uh over over a a uh, a Czech a Czech Budvar Budweiser beer <laughs> that was just the first time I ever got to taste it, and I was I was in Germany, and um, and I just this this my my friend that I was with just said I had this stupid grin on my face because I was having such a good time, <laughs> and here's a beer that probably has one malt in it and one hop in it, and yet it had so much going on and it was so interesting, and I really got to thinking about how if if you balance all of the flavors together, how the overall impression ends up being actually rather simple and drinkable. Mm-hmm. And, and and rather than having that sip and saying, wow, is that ever a lot of roast malt or wow, is that ever really hoppy? You just kind of get the wow, that tastes good and I'm not exactly sure why. And that's mm-hmm. what I that's what I was going after. So my mantra as I developed a beer was if you get the balance right, everything smooths out and, and you get a very, uh, you, you get that reception. So I really felt that I was developing a beer kind of to your point that, that could appeal to some transition folks, but I was being sneaky in that I wasn't appealing to them by dumbing it down, but rather by actually making it more complex, but just not socking them in the jaw with the complexity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, 
<clears throat> today, uh, of course, there are many unfiltered uh, beer products on the market, but uh, back in 2002, uh, that was not so common. Um, were you at all hesitant to take that path? It was my decision before I ever, ever even started. But that is from my experience um, when I was the head brewer over at Boulevard Brewing, and we converted our wheat beer into an unfiltered wheat beer and saw the response that that we had in the market. And mm-hmm. and we had changed that beer specifically because. Uh, you know, kind of going back to what I said is we looked at the wheat beer as as being kind of a a bit of a boring beer, and my my brewers told me they said you should you know you should drink it straight off the tank. It's kind of got a lot more character, and and I kind of coming from my brewing school regimen out in California said said if we think it's better this way, shouldn't we sell it this way? And the public mm-hmm. responded so positively that uh, and I just really like that fullness of uh, of not uh, pulling some of that stuff out i i enjoy that that fullness and um of flavor and mouthfeel so we don't we've ne- so even my original equipment when i bought from another brewery it was funny that they had lost their filter and i was like that's not a problem i didn't want it anyway <laughs> and, but i but at, in 2002 you know kind of you could say on the marketing side I, I I did recognize that to a degree it was a badge, and meaning that there that almost every other beer was going to be kind of sparkling, and there was going to be this one muddy looking beer on the on the thing, which which stimulates conversation. Someone's mm-hmm. like, "What's going on with that beer?" Oh, well, they're making this, and it's unfiltered. And I realized that that was a a good distinction for the drinker to say, no, I'm drinking, I'm drinking this beer and, and, you know, you can talk to me about it, but I can show that I'm in the know about what's going on here. So there was a, a little bit of thought along that side, but it was mostly, you know, always my taste buds that was, was driving everything. That's great. Um, back, uh, in, in 2002, there were 307, 77 microbreweries nationally, and today there are uh, something uh, in the order of 2,400, uh, over 4,600 total uh, breweries, uh, according to the Brewers Association. That includes uh, regionals and um, uh, brew pubs. Um, do you recall how many breweries were in Vermont in 2002 when you started? I think if if you were to count the all the brew all the brew pubs. I think we were somewhere around, you know, 15-ish. It was less uh-huh. than 20, I know that for sure. Yeah. But I think uh-huh. in, in all the the membership, it was somewhere in that zone. Yeah. yeah. And another great statistic for you is in 2002, when we opened, I, I, I love repeating this, the um, the net gain of, you know, breweries opening versus brewery closed nationwide was uh, 30 opened and 22 closed for a net gain of eight. Uh-huh. And I think last year what the net gain was like 700 or something. Yeah, of course, in that period, it was uh, the late 90s uh, into about 2005. It was a kind of uh, difficult period for the the craft beer micro beer industry uh, a lot of a lot of closures um a lot of openings and also closures so that was a tough period and you and Absolutely. you launched you launched right in in that market 
Yeah, now everybody thinks it was great timing, right? But uh, <laughs> <laughs> at the, you know, I, and I and I think you can see a certain most of it's my personality, but there is I call myself a depression era brewer because I opened up, you know, literally buying equipment from a bankrupt brewery, and I had my choice of of hundreds of systems out there that for pennies on the dollar because there it was just there were just junk piles of it out there and. Yeah. And uh, literally had to defend myself, you know, it's, it, it, to the bank asking for money uh, and uh, and stuff. Defend the concept that there was room for another brewery in Vermont. Yeah, and, yeah, um, yeah. So, well, did you did you fund your your original startup? Was it a combination of of uh, private investment and bank funding? So it was my my business partner and I scraped up at what we could get, and then it was an SBA loan, and it was mm-hmm. definitely a bare bones. You know that was why I didn't hire anybody and did everything myself the first two years, is I we we didn't have that much money, so we just uh, picked it all up and and just through sheer sweat just you know refused to stop working until we could uh, <laughs> hire hire Dooley for, as my first employee. So. Uh huh. Well, clearly uh, a lot's changed uh, since those early days. Um, could you offer sort of a high-level assessment of today's craft beer industry and what challenges uh, do you see ahead? Oh, they're getting they're getting more and more and tougher. It is. You got a few hours here. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's becoming a tough business and. Uh, and and like I said, now we're feeling very fortunate that we're in as good a position as we are because it's uh, I I can't even imagine you know you 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 touched upon the fact that you know we only sold one beer for for several years and 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 and, and in all intents it was quite a bit beyond that because even if we released a second beer it would be like a one batch re- release and not nothing serious and. Uh, and nowadays, uh, to get to stick on draft when there's so many choices for the for the bar owner and and their customers want to see everything that's being produced, so they just rotate in and out and in and out, and it's really tough on a on a brewer to get traction and to get mm-hmm. known very much. And I don't know if the one beer thing still works. I think it does, though. I think we see it even here in Vermont, where where the customer will tend to pick that beer for you usually. You know, we kind of did it unusually, uh, you know, differently, but uh, very often you'll you'll see someone who has a big family of beers, but when you talk about it, it's like, yep, yeah, no, everybody's going after this one, and this is what they want from us. But so so you're you're just fighting you're just fighting uh clutter i think more than anything now and it's you know much harder to get noticed i'd i'd say switchback during its you know heyday of of kind of a rise to popularity was a big conversation piece for several years and i'm not sure now whether you can stay a conversation piece more than a more than several weeks or months <laughs> and uh so yeah. Yeah. So, so like I said, I you you could keep going on with all of this stuff, but uh, I do believe that uh, kind of the 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 new the smaller nano guys. I don't even know if that's the right term for them and everything. Seems to be a a, a stable model 
right now, I think, for those folks staying within themselves and producing less volume at a really nice profit margin and and kind of grabbing that the retailer's margin and the distributor's margin and the manufacturer's margin by selling it all on site i think is i could i could definitely see if if that concept had had been invented when i in 2002 i could see myself uh, following that pretty easily because it 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 keeps you from the battle of you know just just excruciatingly painful battle of trying to get say a shelf spot at a yep. supermarket kind of thing. You know, that's just really difficult. And you're always, uh, if you, if you have a tap room and I've, I've been known to, uh, frequent your tap room, um, you see, uh, a conversation that goes on between the staff behind the bar and the consumers. And oftentimes they're, they're traveling from out of state and landing at your brewery for the very first time and, and trying your products and, a uh, flight of beer is in front of them and they're enjoying them and talking about them. And, and I would imagine you get feedback that's really valuable uh, from, from those people uh, as to what they like, what they don't like uh, and, and, uh, and how you might approach new products. Is that, is that true? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, it's a little biased. I would say people are very receptive when they're on vacation and visiting so they're almost too nice and not critical <laughs> enough. <laughs> so, but but over time, you you can definitely get a you, you definitely start getting a feel and uh, and 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 I've loosened up because I'm I'm very Germanic in the way I I release beers and don't like releasing it until I'm like super satisfied with it. But the tap room, even I've realized that you know, and we've got stuff you know. In the past, I might have something I go. That's really close, but I, I, it's just not there yet. Now it's kind of like, you know what, that's a really good beer. And we can put it in the tap room and let people have it and enjoy it. Yeah. And we'll talk about it a little bit. So it, you know, so that's a very fun process. And, and you just get to see, like you say, you know, we've got right now, we currently have two sour beers on tap that, that you know, as much as I think that sours are like well-known now, <laughs> you know, as you bring you know the uh, folks come in, you realize you're you're spending a lot of time educating them about why it's supposed to be that way, and and mm-hmm. and the benefit, you know, the, the interesting parts of it. So, and and then well, every now and then turn it you turn a taste bud your way. Yeah, well, I I know your your uh, your level of perfection. I I um, tried your connector IPA. It's a little adver- advertisement here for for Switchbacks IPA called connector um and I, I, it may have been er, very early uh you know it wasn't wasn't known and uh um i would go back and sometimes it would be there and sometimes it wouldn't be and and uh you know i kept i kept uh, uh pushing your staff there about well, when's it coming out when's it going to be in my local bar and of course now it is and it's a, it's a great product and and glad to glad to see that it's uh it's hit the mark in terms of your, you know, satisfaction of the IPA that you wanted to offer in the market. And it's, if you haven't tried it, you got to try it because it's one of the better ones I've, I've tasted. Yeah. Well, thanks. And and I think that's a great example too of, of what it's like, you know, that what the tap room has done for us is that my original philosophy when I came out with the first ale was, was not to make a flavor that, was too close to anybody else's as much as possible to to add to the tap stand and 
So for a while, we, you know, we really held off on the IPA because there were so many others. It's like, well, do we really need to play in that arena when there's other IPAs that I love and you can drink yeah. there? But now I've got customers coming straight to me, and they're IPA drinkers going, how come you're not making me one while I'm here? It's like, oh, it's a good point. <laughs> you know, I, I, I had someone ask me that in a tour, and I kind of kind of – that's basically how I respond. It's like, wow, I hadn't thought of it that way, and I guess I better do one. So, yeah. <laughs> but how do you approach um, creating new products? And I know, you know, being being a, a frequent visitor of your tap room, that you have uh, lots of new products or a reasonable number of new products. Um, do you do you look at trends in beer sales and look to balance? your portfolio products uh, to serve a defined demographic market uh, as some people approach it, or do you attempt to just serve a a spectrum of uh, consumers or just try to keep things interesting by, um, by what you're introducing? I am going to confess to being so fortunate as to, we still run our brewery almost for ourselves (laughs) and, Uh And when we develop a new flavor, you know, and we're very fortunate, the ale is our workhorse and it pays the bills and we're able to very stubbornly go, you know, you know, rather than look and saying, what could we sell more of? We can look and say, what do we feel like making or what do we feel like experimenting mm-hmm. with now? And that's always been my challenge. We even, you know, we did it with the IPA as well. We're doing some really funky techniques with it to try to draw out some certain hop characters that we think, you know, that we think are unique. And um, we're doing it with our, our, our Citra Pills, which is, is, you know, kind of a twist on a very classically made Pilsner, but then you kind of put in the the IPA hop and the dry hop in and just, just really change it in a perversion that the German might not appreciate, but I think an American craft beer drinker will. And and that's all really just us musing about you know what might be fun. We literally were brewing up um, uh, a basic pilsner just to grow lager yeast for our merits in Oktoberfest uh, later. We needed to grow the lab yeast up and said so. This is a so that pilsner was considered a throwaway beer, and as a throwaway beer. You know, we just discussed it, and the guy said, "You know, what do you think? What about a little citra hops in there with some?" Uh, and like, "Hey, we're gonna dump it down the drain anyway. Go ahead, let's uh, go for it." And it never went down the drain. It went to the tap room and got sold. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's, so it's, it's, a lot of fun. it's funny. Those stories. I I just recently was doing a, a a lot of reading on sort of the history of the craft beer industry and going back and rereading things, and there were some great stories of of uh, products that were kind of mistakes <laughs> they were not intended yeah. or or they were a, a, outright mistakes that turned out to become uh if not flagship well-known products for uh, different breweries and that would be that would be a great uh topic of conversation someday absolutely absolutely i and i i'm kind of on the side for me I I I say this overtly to people that my definition of of a craft brewer tends to go along the side of of a craft person who makes a product, you know, and I don't care whether you're making a nice piece of furniture or you're making beer, but you're making a product that you personally really think is good to your taste and then you kind of then you kind of hold it out to everybody else and go what do you think? 
and and mm-hmm. they may all go, yeah, that was a really bad idea. But but you're not trying to guess what they might want. You're just you're just going with what you want, and 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 see whether whether it matches up with anybody else's ideas. So yeah. Well, you touched on. Uh, I want to bring in some callers here in a minute, but you touched on uh, a question that I was going to ask. Um, uh, does the term craft beer uh, have meaning today? And and I hear lots of you know debate and discussion about that. Um, or do you prefer another term? You know, I've heard the case of well, you know, that's it's a bit quaint. And uh, since we the industry has grown so much and it's such a, a substantial and growing market share, why not just call it? beer and let the quality speak for itself and then there are others who say no it's really part of a of a larger locavore food movement toward locally owned locally grown or crafted products um seems like you might land on the latter side of this yeah probably you know that's in that that i i agree with you it i i'm interested to see you know, I have my fears that it's not going to matter, but as a brewer who's, you know, completely independently owned and can kind of just make decisions, you know, you know, I always say our, our, the last two questions we ever ask when we make a decision is what's best for the beer and what's best for the employees, mm-hmm. you know, and so when we decided to not release bottles in six packs in the very beginning because the volume we thought would be overwhelming for the crew, you know, it's 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 because we can. It's like you know what I can, I don't have to sell that much beer. We're doing okay. Let's do it the way that's that keeps us uh, uh, able to sleep at night and and have yeah. have a decent life kind of thing. And so, I'm kind of on that side of of what you were saying, I, I suppose. And as far as making a term, every time you every time you get a label, it it it, it gets co-opted anyway, doesn't it? So. <laughs> Right. I'm not sure any yeah. of it matters. Yeah, and and I have all the respect in the world for anybody as they grow. I, and I, I think I mentioned them before because they're good friends of mine at, at Sierra Nevada. As big as they've gotten, you know, I call it. I, I don't believe they've ever really they lose they lose their soul. You can always tell when you're talking to them. It's like they're still in it for exactly the same purpose of, of yeah. as far as what they want to make flavor wise and quality wise and that's and and that's the core of it so yeah uh we're talking with bill cherry founder and president of switchback brewing Uh, if you'd like to join the conversation the phone lines are open call us at 929-477-1757 and press number one on your phone keypad to enter the queue to ask a question uh so let me bring in uh caller 9629 uh, please announce yourself and where you're from. Hi. Hi, my name is Erica. I'm from New York. I had a quick question for Bill. All right. Go ahead. Great. Um, so, Bill, you know, if you were starting, if you had to start all over again in 2016 with Switchback, you know, how would you approach the market, you know, in this day and age where there's such a great acceptance of a wide range of beer styles? Ah, yeah. Um I would. I still always tend to look for. Well, I look for my pa- I would look for my passion because I think you can taste passion in beer. 
and I don't know how to describe that. And again, you're talking to someone. I, so I'm, I'm not a very good business owner, but I, I'm because I'm a trained brewer, and so I tend to always go back to that. And and but I can tell every time when a, a if a business ownership group has has started a brewery and just you know said, okay, we need a beer that fits this style, this style, this style. I can taste it. <laughs> versus someone who's like like got got this you know this deep passion of I want to make this thing and 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 you can tell but but in terms of approaching the market I think I think you're hitting upon something that to me is 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 right right on on cue which is is looking at the consumer's acceptance and interest in the diverse stylings and and you know definitely can see pursuing that that's where I'd be going I'd be looking at that like crazy to see if uh, you know if if you can you can create something that really wows and interests people that they can talk about and feel feel like they've really been brought into a, a whole new you know a whole new thing to to drink and think about uh, flavor wise is is and that they've been taught something from you and i think that's a great role that a new small brewer can have that can really distinguish them very quickly as being legitimate and and of interest versus you know i guess right now the the the, the easy thing would be to 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 say you're going to launch with an ipa and be like yep you and you and several thousand others kind of thing so Mm-hmm. Not that you won't end up making one. Trust me. <laughs> Great, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you very much for your call. Um, in the in the first year or two, I understand from uh, doing a little research uh, that you worked uh, crazy hours. I think you referenced it earlier in the show and performed all the tasks of running the brewery uh, and and plus some. <laughs> uh, then then you hired others and you began to hit the road to build uh, the Switchback uh, brand. I think it was just here in Vermont for a number of years. How did you mm-hmm. approach this, and what was your, your pitch to uh, restaurant, bars, and retailers? Uh, I literally would walk in. I was the king of the soft sale because I, what, I'm just not a salesperson. And, and so really my pitch was to simply introduce myself and, and, and the product and uh and just discuss you know that i that i thought again that i thought it would help their tap stand you know we were draft only and i could look and say you know what i'm a local i'm a local brewer and i've got this product that i think will fit in with all the other local brews these these really nice local brews you have and not necessarily compete with them directly and yeah. but will add to what you give your customers and uh and you know for me the the if I could get someone interested enough in my story to accept uh having a sample which isn't easy to do by the way legally you've got to like write to the state for permission and everything but if I could get them to taste taste my beer uh I would say I had about a 75% success rate and I'd get I'd get that that account yeah yeah. Well, when when you know, I haven't I haven't traveled to the far corners of the state recently, but but I know that just about any uh, restaurant or bar that I go in that has uh, has tap handles, uh, switchback is there. You must have you know, probably a large 
number of accounts in Vermont of any any brewery or close to it. That might be that that was definitely when you talk about the business that was not in the business plan. <laughs> and, <laughs> no, my my the business plan was very clear. As I said, I I feel that I'm a good enough brewer that I can sell, you know, that I can make a product that will sell as well as anybody else's. But um, you know, some somewhere in all of that, the the flavor profile. It just spoke to people in a way that I never dreamed of, and um, it seems to continue to be so. We kind of have our little niche there that uh, is is fun, and it's you know in part it's the it's that it defies description in a way. In that um, I think you and I have talked about this in the past that uh, uh, it the beer deep down the roots of of that beer um, violate every style guideline that's written in some fashion, you know, it'll be a little bit like one, but it'll violate, you know, uh, uh, either an ingredient choice or, or something along those lines and say, well, it's not quite, quite one of those. It's not quite one of these. And I think that's where maybe the interest has stayed over the years. And, uh, and, and like I say, we continue to try to do that kind of thing. So, yeah. And I I think that's the fun part of, go ahead. No, you can finish. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I think that's part of the fun part to me of of all of craft brewing, especially in the in the Ameri- in America the American craft brewers. You can see just have that that willingness and freedom to just you know any idea is not a dumb idea <laughs> to mm. to give a to give a try, and I think that freedom is something that is really hard for uh, you know other nations when they try to duplicate us to 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 quite grasp that that there are no rules you know that's kind of the way we like it yeah 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 um so it wasn't long ago that um my my son-in-law and his friends asked me to bring along every time I traveled to the north shore of uh the Boston area um they wanted uh, uh, a keg of uh, of switchback ale or as much as i could bring down for for their parties and use and and uh it was not available in massachusetts then but of course now it is um and uh i wanted to explore you have you've expanded quite a bit in terms of your your market the geography where you sell your your beers um could you tell us how many states you're in and and uh Specifically, which ones? Yeah, so I guess if you if you count partial coverage, we're in five, and so okay. so Vermont and New Hampshire and Maine, and then we're in in right now the less populated parts of Massachusetts and New York is the way I like to put it. Our, our New York footprint is kind of the Adirondacks, and and it's an it, it's amazing to look at how much territory we cover and how how few people actually live there. But yeah. um, but uh, and then Massachusetts, we started like in Western Mass, and we still have not touched upon the shore and Boston area. Yeah. It's uh, and and it's always been kind of a, a a tip to our ability to produce to that volume. The way I the way I put it, Massachusetts has been last because our entire New York, Vermont, New Hampshire, and Maine footprint in terms of population is less than the population of Massachusetts. 
than uh-huh, we serve yeah. now. So for us to go into mass is, you know, is, is, is more than doubling who, who has access to our beer. And so we're doing it very carefully to make sure that uh, we're good partners with our distributors and, and, and are ready to supply uh, the product as it, as it goes. And then there's just the, the infrastructure of, uh, uh, you know, we, I didn't, I did not have a salesperson uh, that was called a salesperson for the first 10 years of this business. It was all just word of mouth sales and me, mm. me hitting the streets every so often. And so as we get farther out in the States, you know, now we've got, uh, you know, we've got Megan and Mike out there and, and it's because it was very obvious to me that our story wasn't getting told when we got that far away as easily uh-huh. as it could be when we were real close to home. So so you're, you're touching on on something that in our in our program here, the business of craft beer, uh, we try to you know emphasize for people who are in the process of building business plans to start uh, breweries, and these these participants in our program come all over from all over the U.S. or in in some cases outside of the U.S. Um, but I'm interested in in your process for. Um, selecting a distributor uh, in the states that you were going into, and and the sort of commitment of time and and the brewery resources uh, to to build that relationship uh, with the all important uh, wholesale distributor. Yeah, wow. And that one, I think you probably already know this by now. This this is the the million dollar there, there there isn't a brewer alive who thinks they they've figured out how to do it right <laughs> and, and it's it's you just you know you you do everything you can to try to do your due diligence and and figure things out and you know and, and spend time in the market uh quizzing quizzing bars and restaurants for you know you know just to kind of see who's the most, you know, seems to be competent and doing it. And then, and then I tend to look at, um, at their portfolios to see whether it feels like, like my brands would fit in. Uh And in a way it's like a tap stand. It's like, do we fit in there and won't conflict with your others or have to worry about, you know, someone else being favored more than our brand because it's kind of filling the same niche or do they need us? Do they need us to fill this so that they can maybe, you know, you know, get get in to a certain niche, and so that they're going to be very vested in in us? And and um, I'll tell you one thing though is it's what what the way we've done it is is we use success breeds success breeds success, and typically we get approached on our buffer, you know, on the, just on the outside of where we're not selling by distributors that are interested in bringing us in because their customers are starting to ask them about it. Uh-huh. And so they, we, we find that, that that brings their interest level to a good degree versus us um, walking into a territory unknown saying, hey, I'm another brewer that's got a nice beer uh-huh. and I'd like to sell it here. Uh, uh-huh. They tend to have already talk to us uh, in many times in my case for several years where it's like yeah I, I don't have excess beer but but thanks you know thanks and we'll come talk to you as we get closer and stuff and we and and, and figure it out but as far as the boy I'll tell you what then you get into the I, I think there's 
I would say there's like, like a couple things is do they have does the distributor have kind of the the, the structure to handle your beer and, and craft beer in general well and if you're like us if you're strong draft presence that's different uh, you might have a distributor that's pretty good at selling bottled beer but not necessarily good at uh, you know if they don't have enough draft beer out there they may just not have the manpower to really uh-huh. service the draft system which is very difficult and I've and I've seen I've known about that being problems um, for folks that they didn't realize was going to happen to them so mm. you kind of have the side of do they have the ability and then there's do they have the desire you know and and getting both those things is 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 a rarity I would say of having someone that's hungry and really wants you know really needs and wants and wants to utilize your brand in specific. So that brings you into the next zone, which is trying to um, just become a partner with them and work with them and have, have successes with them. And like I said, so, so success breeds success. So if you can go in and have a good launch, uh, your meetings are going to be much more pleasant and you can, you know, you can keep incrementally working uh, towards something new, and and you you start to develop a trust, I think, from them that you're not asking them for things that are going to you know fail disastrously, that are going to be a big waste of their time, kind of thing. And and then they'll and then they're going to put a little more effort into it as well because yeah. they're anticipating that it's going to work. That that whole uh, how to how to build a, an effective uh, partnership with your wholesaler is a a series that we hope to have in the near future because there's so so much complexity to that and of course looking at it from the distributor point of view as well as from the the producer uh, point of view and there's a lot lot to learn a lot to share um and and we'll have to focus a series on that i one story is that you you were very careful and thoughtful about your expansion um and and in some ways that, you know, that helps to build trust. It helps to build demand because people are, you know, as we're seeing here in, in Vermont uh, and, and other other uh, breweries, uh, think of some in Massachusetts, uh, um, that you can't get their product and that leads to people wanting the product. And, and, and mm-hmm. over, you know, as, as, as you just described it, moving moving away from home base to other regions very carefully methodically uh is has worked well for you yeah yeah and there's no doubt if i was a, a, a you know had different goals in mind that i think there was a period you know back in the you know, you know, ten years ago or or so, that I could have very aggressively, you know, gone and moved into the Eastern Seaboard when there weren't a lot of new breweries coming out and stuff, and could be a a, a very different operation than I am than than we are currently, and and you know, but that's a case of where again we're we're owned by ourselves and and just made the choice of that wasn't where we wanted to be. I always wanted to, always, always was focused. And I think this is a very important thing of, of knowing that, that the goal was to be a a good regional brewery and, and to not try to be selling beer from too far from home. I, I pride myself on the, the concept that, that I could have, have an account anywhere in my territory, call me today and say they're having a problem and I could be there today 
and and talking to them. I'm not that far away, and I like uh-huh. that. And so, yeah. And and I think I I you know, and I obviously believe long term that the 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 local folks are going to have the the I, I guess the long term stability. Um, I, I find it hard to imagine if I was selling beer in Georgia right now that I would be you know wouldn't be struggling with new breweries in Georgia coming in and kind of pushing me out because mm-hmm. I'm over, you know coming from so far away and you know yeah. that's certainly the way I see that's the way I see the market going so I, you know I recall uh, conversations uh, with Alan Newman uh, founder of Magic Hat and he you know he often cautioned that the point of expansion for a brewery was a uh, Arguably the most uh, critical business decision, and if if not properly made, could result in in serious harm to their their business. Um, you know, I think his view was that sometimes people lost track of what their goal was, and they they would move from that sort of one category, local solid uh, uh, microbrewery, to a regional. Um, and make that jump and and with without the kind of planning and thought that was necessary, if my product sells here, it will sell in neighboring states and in in uh, delaware and and Maryland, and that's not necessarily the case. Um, I, I know that in addition to your methodical, careful approach, um, you had to go through some expansion uh, of to meet to meet that demand. Uh, can you talk a little bit about? what that planning process looked like as you uh, expanded your facility to brew more beer? Sure. And, and, and this will probably expose me as being, you know, even stranger than maybe everybody already thought I was, (laughs) but the, uh, I am a banker's dream because I, I always say that my, our vice president is, was the, is the entrepreneur and I'm, I'm more the, the, the owner the business owner, or the, the 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 I've heard it described as the entrepreneur is like the hunter, and then the the uh, the next stage is the is the nurturer, the farmer, and that's that's me. I like to nurture it. So we took our big risk and and you know and got things going, and and we've actually done most of our or all of our expansion once we became solvent. Um, we that's why I say I'm a banker's dream is when we we we've we've done all of our expansion through bank loans and we've done them in such a way and we've gone you know it's slower but we've kept complete control of our company that way and and when we walk in my current receipts um are are already qualifying us for the loan so even if it's a disaster for the expansion is a disaster and we don't get more sales we are financially we're completely stable and and okay and that's that just reflects my vision for myself which is is all I what I really want in my life is to continue to to brew beer at this brewery until I retire and so it's more important for me that the brewery stays intact rather than getting, you know, taking a, a big chance for it to get much, much bigger, but potentially getting, you know, my neck chopped off because I, I was guessing on something and I was wrong. And so that's, mm-hmm. that's the way, that's the way we've gone. And that's that, you know, it's kind of up to everybody's, 
you know everybody's tastes and and feeling for risk but i so that and so like i said that's so when we've looked at it we've we've planned it out we see what we need to do and what what's going to have to happen and uh and then we we look at it real hard financially to see whether we're relying on something that's going to happen in the future or whether we can you know we can weather the storm so to speak so mm-hmm. uh great well, um, let me just take a moment uh, for listeners. If you've ever dreamed about opening your own brewery or looking for a career change, if you're tired of sitting in a cubicle or doing what you've been doing and it just doesn't uh, excite you, the University of Vermont's Business of Craft Beer Certificate uh, offers the necessary industry-specific knowledge to make this possible. Um, check out our program by giving us a call at 800-639-3210 or visit our Facebook page uh, at facebook.com UVM business of craft beer. Our focus is on the business side, not the brewing side of the industry. Uh, Unfortunately, uh, Bill, um, uh, we're out of time. Uh, uh, I know that we did not uh, have the opportunity to talk with uh, Christian Amport today from Overshore's Brewing, but we'll bring him on. Uh, We've had him on a a previous show, but we'll bring him back uh, to talk about his focus on uh, Belgian style, uh, beer in located in East Haven, Connecticut. Um, But Bill, I want to thank you for uh, joining us today and offering uh, your valuable insights into, um, into the the craft beer industry, as well as how to make it happen successfully as you have at, uh, at switchback. Uh, So thank you, Bill. My pleasure. It It was great. It was a good time. Uh, until our next show, uh, scheduled for September 13th, we'll uh, focus then on nano breweries uh, and have representatives from Simple Roots here in Burlington, uh, Boxcar Brewing uh, located in Westchester, Pennsylvania, and then Blind Bat Brewery from Setter Point, uh, Long Island in New York. Uh, so we'll have a good time with them talking about the uh, the growth of the nanos and, uh, and uh, hear their stories about the... Uh, opportunities as well as the challenges of running a very small uh, uh, brewery these days. So once again, uh, Bill Cherry from Switchback, uh, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you, Greg.